Hello and welcome to the Food Connections podcast, the podcast that helps you learn more about the food you eat and connect with those who make it. I'm Dr. Laura Wynas, a registered nutritionist specialising in nutrition research and communication. I'm also delighted to be one of Scotland's 25 regional food tourism ambassadors. In this episode, I'm joined by Dave Barron, who is a farm in Aberdeenshire, close to where I grew up. And there's a bit of a family connection as he's married to my cousin, Nicola. So I was really pleased that Dave agreed to be one of my first guests on the Food Connections podcast. Dave has been exploring practical and cost-effective ways to improve the farm's carbon footprint. He explains the benefits of mixed farming, the importance of having good soil, and also why bagpipes can be really useful to have on the farm. I caught up with Dave in the first week in May to find out what he's been busy with on the farm at the moment and get an insight on all the work he does. Hello and welcome to this episode. Today I'm joined by Dave Barron. Uh, thank you, Laura, for inviting me. Spring is upon us in Aberdeenshire, so um, we're calving and we've been sowing the barley and putting on much needed fertiliser to keep it healthy and yeah, a lot of life, which is great. Brilliant. Can you describe what your farm is or the, the type of farm you have? Yes, it's very much a family farm. I'm in partnership with my wife, Nicola. I have three boys. None of them are full time on the farm. Um, unfortunately, um, I've encouraged them to get careers um, <laughs> and they'll hopefully come back to the farm when uh, when I'm too old. So their names are Jack, Tom and Jamie. I'm a first generation farmer at Neveraden. I've been here 30 years, which has gone in a flash. And I was in partnership with my brother in a dairy farm before that. So the farm is about 600 acres which 500 are owned and 100 is rented, which used to be quite a big farm and now it's very much an average size farm in Scotland. It's a mixed farm, so uh, half of it's in grass and half of it's in cereals. And um, we're next door to the village of Mintlaw, which is about 29 miles north of Aberdeen. Brilliant, beautiful part of the country. Uh, Some days on a sunny day. (laughs) So on your farm, you said it's a mixed farm um, with half being grass, half cereal. So I take it on the grass, uh, you've got some cattle. Can you tell us a bit more about the the cows that you've got? I've got 150 Aberdeen Angus suckler cows, which means that that they have a calf every year and they raise the calf, which is, is I think, increases the quality of the beef. So on the farm, there's probably about 350 head altogether. So um, we're quite busy. Um, mm-hmm. There's just one full-time employee and myself. The cattle, what I do with them is after they've had a calf, I raise them up. And the farm lies between two butcher shops. So I supply him with Aberdeen Angus cattle. And I have some leftover usually. And they go to Max and Spencer's. So I have three daddy Aberdeen Angus bulls and then I've one Charlie which is a French breed and they go to the local market at a year old and there's other beef farmers buy them. Many people think that farmers are not that good businessmen but that gives me cash flow and spreads the risk so Mm -hmm. um, that's what I'm trying to do there. 
Supplying the local butcher, I think it's a great story because um, they're here all their lives and they go to two shops which are less than a mile from the farm. So there's no haulage, the stress levels are very low. Why do I think Aberdeen Angus uh, are best? Because the breed started in Aberdeenshire, hence the name. They're top quality meat. I mean, the, the meat is a premium meat and for a reason it's well marbled and it's got great texture and it cooks well and the taste from them is fantastic. And also they mature quite quickly. So I don't have to have them on the farm as long as possibly other breeds. And they take less to finish. They, they, they can be finished off of grass with a little bit of grain at the end. So um, how I get them to market is very environmentally friendly as well because they're eating most grass most of their life. Their, their ration is 75% grass and also they get a bit of pea silage, which is a legume which produces nitrogen. So I have to use less nitrogen and they get 25% home produced grain and they're on home produced straw. So everything is grown on the farm apart from a little bit of minerals that I have to buy in to keep their health right, which is also from an Aberdeenshire farm. So we're trying to keep everything as local as we can. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very low food miles and very local and very sustainable way of, of farming. And of course, Aberdeen Angus is world renowned for quality of the meat and meat itself is very nutritious. So it's something that I've been working in as a nutritionist myself in the kind of nutritional aspects of red meat in the diet. Obviously, red meat is rich in high quality protein. It's very naturally low in salt. Um, provides lots of key vitamins and minerals that are easily absorbed by the body. So red meat is a rich source of B vitamins, helps us produce energy in the body and reduces tiredness and fatigue, uh, rich in zinc. It's a source of potassium and phosphorus. And of course, it's a source of iron as well. And I think it's worth pointing out as well that in the UK, dietary survey data shows that a quarter of adult women and half or 49% of teenage girls have low iron intakes. So having red meat in the diet a couple of times a week is a really good way of providing some iron. Interestingly as well, red meat is one of the few dietary sources of vitamin D, which is often called the sunshine vitamin, but there's very few dietary sources and meat and meat products contribute around 20% of our dietary vitamin D uh, intakes. So all in all, it's a really nutritious food to include in a, in a balanced diet. So yeah, it sounds like the Aberdeen Angus beef that you're producing and, and selling in the local butchers and M&S is really top quality. And yeah, obviously fed on a mixture of grass and pea silage. So you grow peas on the farm as well. Yeah, we grow peas on the farm. The, the other half of the, the farm is um, grain for for malting whiskey, which obviously goes into the distilling industry and the stuff they don't need, we give to our cows. So we try and keep everything as local as we can for transport. 
my wife is actually low in iron and instead of taking iron, iron tablets, we get a real kick out of having one of our steaks on a Saturday night. Um, and it tastes an awful lot better than pills, I believe, as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it can really help with the, the iron intakes. So we were speaking earlier and one of the things you were mentioning was the fact that your farm is a climate change monitoring farm. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what your farm is or a climate change monitoring farm is? Certainly. Um, well, th there's probably two points here is that there is a climate change emergency. I didn't believe that 10 years ago, but I, I do see the, the seasons changing and you just have to watch the news. But I think um, I, I was I was asked to be a climate change monitor farm for six years. And it made me look at my business and try and address some of the problems that I had. And the two biggest bills I had on the farm were fuel and fertilizer. They were costing me the most. And being a climate change monitor farm, I've managed to reduce my fuel by 23% by using uh, hydrogen on my tractors and by drying my grain sustainably. So I use biomass and solar panels. So I've cut my fuel by 23%, which is a huge saving at the moment. And I've cut my fertilizer by 25%. I use 25% less fertilizer by growing crops in different ways and by improving my grassland management. My grassland management is an awful lot better now. Mm -hmm. So the proof is in the pudding is that uh, I get clover to do the job that fertilizer was traditionally doing in the past. Being this far north, we do have a slightly shorter season in Scotland than we do in the south of England, but we have plenty of water. And by using paddy grazing, I, I shift my cows every two weeks and let the grass rest. And that has allegedly made my farm 20% bigger because it's 20% more efficient. So when I was asked to be a climate change farmer, I had great reservations about this, what it would involve, but I've, I've, um, I've learned a lot. It was a steep learning curve and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think mm. we're in a better place now than we were when we started it. Mixed farming is very important to me. This is a thing that really, it made me look at this and, and mixed farming is so important in healthy soil. If you've got healthy soil, it's far easier to grow crops and you need less inputs. Healthy soil to me is organic matter. And if you look after the organic matter, it keeps the moisture, it keeps the nutrients, and you've got healthy soil, you've got healthy crops. And I believe, I'm telling a nutritionist this, if you look after your body and put good healthy food into it, a balanced healthy diet, the chances is you'll have a balanced healthy life. Absolutely. The aspect of soil and the richness of the soil, it's almost like we, we talk a lot about in nutrition about the importance of our gut microbiome and diversity of your gut microbiome. But what's in the soil and the healthiness of the soil is equally as important and having that diversity and, and nutrition in the soil. And one thing you mentioned before was the, well, the, the paddock grazing and also the green manure is do you want to explain a little bit of what that is? Yeah, well, the uh, I think I've touched on the paddock grazing. We we actually mm -hmm. um, fence the the grassland an awful lot with electric fencing to make it the cattle graze it for a week to two weeks mm -hmm. depending on the weather, 
quite hard down. Then they tell me when they went shifted to the next one. So it's easy. You open the gate, let them through. Mm-hmm. And it gives the last paddock a chance to recover. And, and I take it, they, they tell you how they want to move by mooing? <laughs> yeah, by mooing. <laughs> and also, uh, <laughs> we had a funny story a few years ago that my uh, middle son is quite a good bagpipe player. And he was driving my wife and I nuts in the house by this loud skirling of pipes. So we told him to go outside and he started playing the bagpipes and the cows love it. (laughs) So me being me, I had thought, right, how do we shift these cows? If it's a difficult thing, we get Tom to pipe and they follow Tom. They love a good Scottish bagpipe song. And they went to follow him like the Pied Piper. And that's a true story. Um, uh, where were we? Uh, green manures. Yeah, green manure. Um, there was an idea I tried about oh, 10 years ago that if we sow a few different things in the soil, like um, phacelia and wild radish and clover, and we leave it for the summer to rest the soil, and then we chop it up and put, put it back in, it actually gets organic matter going so much quicker as cattle do mm-hmm. and makes your soil an awful lot healthier. So the government are actually doing this now and uh, one of the grants we get is to put down green manure to improve our soil health. And I'm a firm believer that is a great thing for the environment, the land and the farmer. Mm-hmm. What would you say have been the things that you found farming this way? Well, the positives are that I've definitely lowered my input costs and I've improved my soil health. By improving my soil health, I've got more productivity and I've had eight or nine carbon audits done on my farm. They're just coming in now. And that's given us a huge indication that we've got 100 more head of cattle on the farm than when we started. And we've got a lower carbon footprint. So there's huge positives to farming in a more environmentally friendly way because I'm a businessman as well as as a farmer and I actually think that I'm slightly, well, a bit better off than I was before I started the climate change model because my inputs are down and my profits up. Mm. Um, The negatives of trying to farm this way is being brave enough to try and do it you take a long time to see your results because it takes three years from impregnating a cow to having something to sell, which is a long time to be able to monitor, you know, the pros and the cons. And then again with grain as well, it takes a year to grow a crop. So you can't see an instant, an instant result in what you're trying to do. So that's probably a negative. And it's been brave enough to be able to, to actually go and try and farm in a slightly different way mm-hmm. because you you maybe have insecurities about changing. Mm-hmm. Are you one of a few of these kind of climate change monitoring farms? Yes. And- when I was doing it, I'm finished now, mm-hmm. but when I was doing it, I was one of seven or eight dotted all over Scotland. And okay. um, I, I was a beef and cereal farmer. There was a potato farmer. There was a dairy farmer. There was a highland sheep 
cattle farmer. There was a farm in the borders that was mixed as well. So it encouraged farmers to come and look to see what we're doing and hopefully follow the suit, which I think is happening, but mm -hmm. slowly. And I suppose we had COP26 towards the end of last year. Did you have any interest from people who were attending that in what you were doing? Yeah, the COP thing was very interesting. I was actually approached to be a, a COP26 fact-finding fan. So there was 26 MPs, MSPs and councillors appeared one Friday afternoon, I think. And I uh, showed them my hydrogen tractors and my system of uh, producing Aberdeen Angus beef and malting barley and drying the grain sustainably with biomass and solar panels. And yeah, they said to me they were suitably impressed. In fact, a lot of them went to the butcher afterwards and bought some steaks for taking home and had a lot of great feedback there. And they asked a lot of interesting questions that got me thinking as well. It's all to play for going forward in the future. I, I, I believe that we really have to look after an environment. And if we look after the environment, it'll look after us. Another thing with the climate change, I, I did, I put in a calving camera so I could watch my cows from the office or from the farmhouse. And that saved me jumping in my truck back and forth to the farm. Mm -hmm. I got a thing called a moo call which you can put on the cow's tail and it phones you when it's uh, calving. Wow, which is okay. A, which is a brilliant invention. You know, there is technologies there and they're improving all the time. It's just we have to embrace them and be brave enough to embrace them. Yeah, I suppose this, the innovation that's coming through now is, is um, if it can help in any way reduce carbon footprint or make things more sustainable, then that's fantastic to have that kind of link with the innovation and improving things because um, I think there's a lot of misinformation maybe about sustainability and farming and I know there's a lot of facts from the National Farmers Union on kind of the sustainability of red meat obviously there's different ways of producing meat and different farming ways but there's some great statistics on the, the NFU website would you say red meat is a very sustainable food to have? The way it's farmed in Scotland, I don't think you can get much more sustainable. We've got grass. We've got the best breed in the world, Aberdeen Angus, in my humble opinion. And it's part of a balanced diet, which I think you're more an expert in, than, than me. But um, very sustainable. We, we don't have really feedlots here. We, we're not using growth, growth hormones. Uh, so it's a lovely natural product that has got low ear miles. And beef from a butcher is a little bit of a luxury product, but you can get so much meals out of it if you can cook it in a, in a good way. It's not expensive if you treat it properly. Mm -hmm. And I think red meat is part of a healthy, going back to healthy and balanced diet. It's about how much to eat. And there are recommendations or guidelines about how much red meat to include. So that's recommendations are no more than 500 grams of cooked red meat in a week, which is around 70 grams on average each day, which is about a steak the size of the palm of your hand. So having red meat two or three times a week is still going to be well within that recommendation. There is guidelines as well on 
limiting as much as possible the processed meat. And so that processed meat is any meat that has been smoked or cured or had salt preservatives added rather than just having been cooked or reformed. Processed meat includes things like bacon and your salamis and corned beef, pepperoni, pastrami and all types of ham. So uh, these are the kind of meats to limit. Another one of your roles as well is uh, chairman of the Scottish Beef Association. Do you want to kind of explain what that involves? Yeah, um, if I may, I uh, didn't think I would have time to be chairman of the Scottish Beef Association. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't have time. But I ended up being it and I've been it for two and a half years now. It's an organisation that tries to look after the interests of the primary beef producer uh, in Scotland. We do a lot of lobbying of the government to try and get a fair deal. We hold a biannual beef event, which we normally get about 6,000 farmers for the day, which goes to showcase the beef industry and highlight the good and the bad, and probably the ugly, that's me. Um, farming is a great career because you have to be a bit of a plumber, you have to be a bit of a sparky, you have to be a bit of a businessman, you have to be a bit of a finance guru, you've got to be a bit of a vet. You're never doing the same thing. And you're always trying to champion different challenges every day. And you're not sitting in an office, you should be healthy because you're out walking, getting your steps up every day. So it concerns me a little bit that a lot of people don't know where their food comes from. That does concern me. And that's why I invite schools to come and have a look and realize that, that we have to treat our animals well. We look after our animals and our animals will look after us as a farmer. Mm. Um, same with our crops. And yeah, I'm very much believer every day is a school day. Well, I guess just to finish off, do you have a uh, food that you enjoy the most or what would you say is your favorite meal or have you got a good food memory? Um, a hundred percent. My favorite meal is a home produced Aberdeen Angus steak with Scottish potatoes on a Saturday night with a glass of red wine. <laughs> that is, I could do that every Saturday night as part of my balanced diet. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of, of the day to chat to me and explain a little bit more about what you do on the farm and all the fantastic work. And yeah, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Laura. Thank you. Um, I hope I've put a little bit of enlightenment into some people. Uh, farming is a very interesting industry and it's a very important industry. Uh, we need to look after it and we need to love it and cherish it. Thanks for listening to this Food Connections podcast. There's a list of resources and useful links related to what was discussed in this episode in the show notes, so do check them out. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and do get in contact with me if you have any comments or suggestions for future guests. See you next time.